Episode 350, Black Widow. Movie review. In theaters. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Welcome to Level 7. I would also say welcome back to the theaters for some of us who didn't spend $30 on Disney+. Plus. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I'm joined here by Agent Stu. Hey, guys, it's good to be back. And Agent Samantha. Hey, and you know what? It's been a while since I've referred to myself as an agent. Yeah, I guess it has been. Yeah. But it also feels appropriate to this episode, too. This movie had S.H.I.E.L.D. in it. Yes, it did. Did indeed. So that was good. That was cool. No recognizable agents, but... Or at least I didn't recognize any agents. So... I thought I was going to, but you know what we should do? We should drop that spoiler warning real quick, because we're going to talk about stuff. Yes, Yes. and we will be spoiling stuff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's how's that for a spoiler warning? We'll be talking about all of Black Widow. So before we do, uh, let's just take this opportunity to quickly mini review, spoiler free. What would you think about Black Widow? Go. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Stuart, I really enjoyed it, and it didn't look like a video game at all. I don't know what was going on there, but uh, really good. And. My one review would be probably garbage, garbage, (gasps) garbage, garbage is what people who say they don't like this movie are spewing. (laughs) So (laughs) trying to be a little tricky trickster right there. No, and actually I could see I could see people not liking this movie for sure. Uh, I could see people not liking it, but I did like it. It's not my favorite MCU movie of all time. It's definitely not my least favorite MCU movie, MCU movie of all time. I would give it thumbs up if I'm doing a binary up or down thumbs up Mm -hmm. for sure. And I enjoyed myself. It was fun to be back in the theater with the MCU. It's fun to be back in the theater with my family. And yeah, it was, it was a fun evening at the movies to be sure and it was better than i thought it would be even if i still think we didn't necessarily need a black widow movie we got one yeah i ah, did we need a black widow movie i think we did see that's the question that's been going on for ages right Mm -hmm. and in my in my mind it's hey could of course I say this now and it's a little redundant because we are getting a She-Hulk miniseries on Disney plus. But if you had asked me, you know, five years ago, do we need a black widow movie? I would have said, no, I want a new hero. Give me She-Hulk, you know, give me, give screen time to someone that hasn't gotten screen time. That's what my answer would be black widow. We've gotten lots of screen time with her. And it's the same with, with the, you know, we got guardians of the galaxy. Great. I don't necessarily need another Hulk movie. You know, that said, 
Oh. Doesn't matter. We got this, and it's good. Though, in my opinion, I feel like we... I, I want to get the story somehow about how Hulk went from Hulk and Bruce Banner jumping back and forth to each other to Professor Hulk. I want to hear that. I want to see that story somehow. Either it be comic book or a short or a TV series. I'd like to know that story. But see, I'm glad we're getting Shang-Chi instead of that. True. You know, yeah. and and with uh, Captain Marvel 2, I'm really glad that Captain Marvel 2 is actually now called the Marvels because it's it's not just Captain Marvel Brie Larson, but it's also Monica Rambeau and it's also Ms. Marvel from Disney Plus. Like I like these things where it's shaking it up and giving us new stuff. And this movie, especially when they were started talking about what it was going to be, this is a step backward. And it, and it is a step backward. Is that a bad thing? Or a good thing? You know, it depends on how much you like this movie. Is it a, is it a bad thing? No, I don't think it is. I thought it could be. I really did think it might be a bad thing. But in the end, we get a solid movie set during phase three. Ben, I, th- I think you've actually said that on the podcast before, that you don't want n- old heroes returning and doing new things. You want new heroes getting introduced and doing new things. And then working together, which is why you get the Avengers thing going. Uh, but I do like getting, you know, the Ant-Man movie, but then you have the sequel and it's Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know, and that's that's the kind of thing that when I'm saying, did we need a Black Widow movie? No, we didn't need a Black Widow movie, but was it good? Was it fun? And was it a worthy addition to prequel canon? That's where, yeah, I mean, it told a fun new story that we had never heard before, gave us background on Black Widow's character. And even though it couldn't push the narrative forward, except for in the tag scene at the end, um, even though it wasn't pushing forward into phase four, all that to say, if you like the MCU, you should go see Black Widow or spend 30 bucks on Disney+. Plus. I read a um, news story earlier this afternoon that compared Black Widow to Jason Bourne. That is a big part of my review of that movie, is that this was the MCU Jason Bourne movie. Even more so than some of the, the Captain America movies. And I know the Incredible Hulk at the beginning of the Incredible Hulk with uh, Edward Norton, they really were drawing on that, that Jason Bourne style of thing. But this one took it the whole way, the whole movie. It was a Jason Bourne movie. And my, my son came out and said, yeah, that was just a, a Jamie Bourne. <laughs> you know, like it's. <laughs> Yeah. Your, your son's pretty your son's pretty witty. He can be sometimes. <laughs> yes. He's pretty good at it. So let's talk about the show. Come on. Let's talk about the movie. Okay. Spoilers from here on out. Uh Samantha, I don't know if you want to put the spoiler warning in or not. I don't even know if you have that for your um for editing, <laughs> I will have but... to dig through my files. I actually I don't know think I have that. I think you still have it. Why well, I, I do Are you talking about the spoiler organ? organ. Yes, 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 the spoiler organ. We don't use it very often here because we just jump into spoilers. But yeah, something like this, we can use it. Spoilers. Spoilers. Spoilers.
spoilers. <laughs> Spoiler organ has been played, and we are going to spoil this movie, and we're going to talk about details, and we're going to talk about things, and we're going to talk about possibly theories. Who knows? Who knows? So, let's start with the quadrant. When I review something, I like to use a quadrant for member reviews. I like to talk about plot. I like to talk about style. I like to talk about themes. And I like to talk about characters. And this movie, you know, some movies you can say just, they just land in one and stay in it. You know, there's movies that are just all style. And there's movies that are, you know, especially like indie movies where it's just no, not a big budget. It's all character. And there are movies or TV shows like a Twilight Zone kind of thing that's got character and plot, you know, but plot is the big thing. And it's all about the big plot twist at the end. Um, but this movie, I feel like actually landed, like if you're doing that diagram, I think this is coming really close to the center with all four. Because there's a there's a lot of character stuff going on. There's a lot of thematic stuff going on. The plot is a very, very important thing to follow here. It's not necessarily just a MacGuffin storyline to give the character something to do and there's a lot of style <laughs> a lot of style now there is a lot of style my question though is is it different from the mcu is it different from winter soldier i would say no i would i would say it's not that different yeah. no no it's, it's not that different but it has like it fits really well within to the mcu this is definitely of a kind with winter soldier, even of a kind with uh, Falcon and winter soldier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the, the show um, it's just, they really, I feel like they embrace that frenetic Jason Bourne style of action where mm -hmm. there's just lots of jump, lots of quick cuts, lots of movement, lots of camera movement. Um, and it's just lots of poses. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was, and a lot of funny moments too, you know, but the fights are quick and they're tight and they're close. And, and I, I think that's probably a big part of the style is just bringing in like, as when someone's running, the camera is right there with them. They're not running across the screen. The screen is moving with them as they're running, you know, it's, it's staying in tight, staying in close. And it, it definitely is a, of a kind with, with the rest of the MCU, but it's also in that kind of thing where it rests neatly in a style that's, you know, kind of embracing a genre or a subgenre. I was going to say that. So things you just described were all spy things. Right. So you describe Jason Bourne. He's a spy. Um, Black Widow is a spy. He's like the spy, the, the best spy ever, you know. So that frenetic handheld shaky cam thing that we identify as the Jason Bourne style is really, in my mind, like spy style. You know, uh, uh, if they made a if they made and I would not be surprised um, to see. 007 movies made like this where there's shaky cam and and well, and close in and they did though the yeah i was gonna I mean, say that's that's this newest set of movies you know like casino royale was them trying to say okay the born movies did this we can't go back anymore 
we have to take on mm-hmm. that style so people will take us seriously. Yeah, so James Bond had to play catch up mm-hmm. with Jason Bourne. James Jason Bourne comes and just changes that style of movie forever. What that shaky cam does is it sets you off kilter. So you don't know where you're standing. You don't know what your footing is. Um, Very similar to Spies on the Run. You know, Jason Bourne is a person who runs. Um, Black Widow is a person who runs. You know, they don't know where they're sitting. And it works really well for those. And it doesn't just put you, throw you off kilter. It also puts you in the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and so where with the shaky cam, it's kind of, especially when they bring it in close, you can't see what else is there, you know, and the shaky cam is kind of giving you a little bit of peripheral vision as it moves just a little bit, but it puts you there in the moment and it puts you off kilter. It hides what's coming in some ways. And then it also, I'm not sure what it's doing for black widow. I'm not sure about our stunt people for black widow, but for some of these movies, it also hides that the, the actors aren't very good at their, their stunts. And so they, you know, if you have a split second image of someone throwing a punch, then it's a little bit more believable than someone throwing a punch where you see the whole thing happening and it's not very good. So that's another reason for quick cuts in action movies. But yeah, I couldn't tell you if this is one of those where they are doing the style because that's what's done or if they're using the style to hide what they can't do. I would I would argue that the MCU has gotten really good at doing the style, so I think it's a purposeful choice rather than a cover up of what we can't do. Either way, it's a purposeful choice. Okay, yeah, good point. So sometimes the reason the actors can't do the stunts is because the insurance company won't let them, which is why they have stunt doubles. Yeah, but that's okay. a different kind of can't than what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I mean you're absolutely right, and that's why you have stunt doubles is to protect the uh, on-screen talent for their close-up. Right. But you know, then you have the on-screen. T- I I I think Scarlett Johansson does some of her own stunts, but I'm not sure how much. But well, if she can do that pose, like flip into that pose, I'm, I feel pretty confident she can do quite a few stunts. <laughs> so, what do you feel about them calling out the pose? I loved it. <laughs> it's such a little sister thing to do is to call out your big sibling on something. <laughs> well, what's great about it is it's it's called out in such a way that makes sense. You know, yeah. It, yeah. If Iron Man, if Tony Stark called her out on it, I don't think it would be it would be anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, but what if, if Bruce Banner did? I, I don't think it would work either. I don't think he would. I, I think he, he would, would in in the moment of a flirt. As he's flirting with her, hey, what's the pose you're doing there, huh? You know that kind of thing. He, he wouldn't. He wouldn't do it the same way that Elena did it. And the way Elena did it is something that only a family can, member can really do to you. Where <laughs> it's kind of like really embarrassing that it's being called out. Called out. So it would be more a joke for Bruce Banner. So Bruce Banner would, would be like, 
hey, I'm trying to flirt with you and talk to you about the things that you do. And I think this pose is really cool. And then it comes out like, hey, do you like donuts or something really (laughs) like it doesn't jive right because because Bruce Banner at the end of the day is just a big nerd. Well, that that is true. He is. He is a big nerd. There are worse things to be. I didn't say it was a bad thing. Yeah. I just said that's he wouldn't he's not suave about it. But for Elena, yeah, Elena to 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 make fun of her on that was perfect. Cause you know she watched she watched all the MCU movies, right? She watched all the, the uh, uh uh video footage of the Battle of New York and go, Oh man, really? Come on. You know who else watched all the MCU movies is Taskmaster. <laughs> yes. Literally yes. watching the MCU movies. And yes. Wonder if she got them from the TVA. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I had a feeling Taskmaster was going to turn out to be uh, a female, but I was, what I was fearful of was that Taskmaster was going to turn out to be the mom because we never saw the mom's body. I had right. no clue yeah. where they were going with that plot twist of her being um, big bad. What's his name? Drakoff. Drakoff's daughter. I had no clue that that's where they were going to go. But that was another where we actually saw this person. There was enough uh, conversation about this person. And we saw in flashback this child uh, that emotionally having that character be the taskmaster there was a, a enough of an, an emotional connection that that was a was a good twist it was one that all the pieces and clues were there that we needed and and it made sense and felt right i was legit afraid that when taskmaster like when taskmaster pulled out the bow i was like no 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 do not let this be hawkeye but did you know Taskmaster's comic book origins and, and I did powers? not know okay. Taskmaster's. No. But so so that's kind of like a, an advantage or disadvantage, I guess. But I feel like there's more people like me watching the MCU who don't know Taskmaster um, than there are people who have watched all of the MCU and want, read every single comic and all that and know Taskmaster inside and out. Yeah, and would you? So this is not Taskmaster from the comics. The mm. origin is not the same, and the character is not the same. But the power set is now Taskmaster is able to watch anyone, and even in the course of fighting someone, is able to learn their fighting style and use their fighting style against them. And so, and I, and I love that idea, you know, where in this movie they used it so well. Black Panthers style, Steve Rogers style, Hawkeyes style. Um, so that that part is from the comics, but the origin story that we get for Taskmaster or um, Antonia is is her name. Yeah, that was not true to the comics, but was true to the emotional core of what this movie's trying to do, which is dive into. The red in the ledger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I did like about Taskmaster that it felt like a Termina- Terminator type character. Or a Winter Soldier. That- <laughs> or a Winter Soldier, yeah. But, I mean, uh, yeah, true, because she was just as, as programmable as a Winter Soldier. Well, and even but still, I mean, it, it, it was like, you know, no matter what you do, it, it she would mimic your fighting style and she would just keep coming no matter what you did. And you had to kind of evade her. So I really liked that. But you, you said, you know, when you brought up Terminator, it just triggered with me. This is the way they presented Winter Soldier at first, too, where mm-hmm. it's just this presence that's coming for you. And Un- toward you. Uns- and it's unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more. Is there any more to talk about with the style of this movie? Hmm. That sounds like a no. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> no, everything else I want to talk about is more like plot and character. All right. So if everything you want to talk about is plot and character, let's save that. Hold on to that for a moment talked about style um uh, theme stuff is probably going to come up in in this plot and character stuff we're going to talk about but i already did mention a little bit like what is this movie about well first of all i don't know i've heard i haven't seen fast nine yet but i've seen the memes about family 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 is it about family <laughs> yeah yeah but boy oh boy is this one about family too Man, and how many conversations do they just have it where they're just saying, oh, by the way, this movie is about family. And it's about family. And and that's like almost in the dialogue, almost. Man, were they talking about family a lot? What's interesting, though, is I liked how they changed family versus the family you were born with versus the family that is chosen for you. Or that you choose and that you choose. So there's like three different incarnations of family, right? The family you were born with, the family that is chosen for you, and then the family that you choose. Um, And they're not all mutually exclusive. Yeah, I, I did like that exploration. You do find out about uh, Natasha's birth parents they did not abandon her they sold her like so they kind of still abandoned her but then they never stopped looking for her and i really hope that doesn't become a a, a ray from star wars thing i think we're well, done with it though yeah i hope we're done with it well that's natasha's story i think elena said that her background was different that it she was. she found her birth certificate, so she knows who who her parents are. But no. even then, I think the the Elena one was like, I, I don't think they're going to come back and be like, oh, Elena's actually a Stark. No, don't do that. No, and mm, and the impression no. that I get is for the new round of of widows, it's they're just looking for orphans. You know, they're looking for people who don't have anyone and aren't going to notice that they're missing. And, mm-hmm. uh, in, a, and in the real world that's happening, but it's much more insidious because it's real in, in this world, it's, I'm going to turn you into a, a black widow, <laughs> so, but it's, it's fantasy. 
it's fantasy um, motivations behind these these abductions and these kidnappings. But it just reminds me of some of that real world stuff where it's like, yeah, the the best victims are the ones who don't have anyone else and and no one even is going to notice. Yeah, I just I brought down the conversation. Of, yeah, it did because I now I'm thinking about some really sad stuff about um sex trades and and what they're doing with young girls in impoverished parts of the world. So and and that's the I I think that that's what they're trying to reflect. They're not trying to portray that, but they're trying to reflect that. Because absolutely Drakeoff is as the bad guy, I mean, he, he is a predator and he is preying on these young women. And, you know, this is the superhero fantasy version of the stuff you were just talking about, Samantha, which is very real and very awful. And here's kind of the, the superhero catharsis, I think of, yeah, we get to see Black Widow punch this guy. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So, let's punch up the conversation again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, right. anything else in theme? Yeah, so, I mean, family obviously is big. I like what you're saying, Stuart, about family you're born with, family that's chosen for you, which might be the same, and family you've chosen, which... Later on in life, I think everyone has a moment where they have to decide, am I choosing my family or not? You know, and the family I was born with, at some point, some people do choose to not be a part of that family anymore. They choose to turn their back on it because of, you know, whatever. Um, this family is interesting, though. So you've got uh, David Harbour as Red Guardian, Alexi. You've got Melina. Rachel Weiss, and you've got Elena, Florence Pope, Pope, Pew, Pew, okay. Pew, and Natasha. And for three years, that family was real. For and at least one of them. <laughs> what's interesting to me about that is it's uh, is three years long enough. Yeah, so this kind of gets into my idea of the the re- relativity of time based on the age that you are. So, like, think about it this way. Hmm. Yelena was, what, three years old, four years old when they built that mm-hmm. family. For 50% of a six-year-old's life, that's, you know, three years is 50% of their life. But if you're 30, that's only 10% of your life, three years. And when you're 90, that's only, what, 3% of your life. And so is it long enough to be real? For Elena, absolutely. For Natasha, maybe. For Alexi and Melina, then, you know, that depends on, on how much of themselves they put into it. You get the feeling there is some real connection between them. They're playing a part at first, but sometimes when you pretend something... If you pretend long enough, it starts to feel true and real. And if it feels real, maybe it is real. 
it was real enough for Elena to want to put up a a, a, a tomb a tombstone marker. Did she do that? Or somebody it says, did. It says sister on it. Yes. So, do you think she would have done that had they not had this adventure? That's a good question. Would she have done that if she had found a way to break free from, from the Black Widow program? And the first I, thing she does as soon as she breaks free is to contact Natasha. So I think it really hinges on that. Well, yeah, you got to break free of your of your programming in order to 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 find your way. Right. If, if things had gone differently, I don't think she would have done that because there was a lot of tension between them when they first came together. A lot of tension. But they were able, that sisterhood anyway, was able to re-blossom and, and come back into being. I, I really do think that, yeah, I think this adventure is what brought them together because they were both open to it. And there's a lot of healing that happens in this adventure. Yes. You know, there's a lot of resentment going into it, and there's a they have some turmoil, and they come out of it with a lot of healing. And I think that – so in answer to my question, I personally don't think Elena would have made the tombstone for Natasha had she not had this adventure. But I find it interesting that as soon as she breaks free – from her programming that she reaches out to Natasha. Yeah. So, although her reaching out really is just trying to get those vials into a safe place. True. Which didn't work because Natasha <laughs> brought them right back. Yeah. Yeah. She might've reached out, but had there not been a, you know, a hand to, to, to reach out to, I don't think there would have been, I, I, I just don't think she cared that much. Well, you until, also got the, oh, go ahead. I was going to say until they, until they finished, you know, coming back together, amending that relationship. I also got the impression that she might've been sending it to Natasha thinking, Oh, this will get us help from the Avengers. Ah, true. Yeah. And because at one point, didn't she say she kept watching the TV, hoping Captain America would be taking down the Red Rooms? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And this comes all, immediately after Civil War. So Natasha's going into hiding and she's put into this really terrible little trailer with a really shoddy uh, uh, generator. generator. Yeah. And... In when, Norway, by the way. So in Norway. where's Thor? Well, it's, no, this is not when Asgard was moved to North Norway. This is a well before that. Oh, this is this is before yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, okay. See, that's where it gets a little confusing. I mean, where does this take place? But this takes place at the best possible time as far as the complaint people have. The complaint being... All this big stuff is happening, but it's a solo movie, so no one else can help. Well, yeah, 
good thinking on the filmmaker's part. Black Widow's on the run, so Iron Man's not going to help her. And although others who might help her are also on the run. I do have a funny story about that. And and I'm actually reading. So, okay, so I, I looked on my theater's website to try to find showtimes before we saw this show. And it had, you know, Scarlett Johansson, David, what's his face? Right. Harbor, Rachel Weisz, Florence Plew, and Robert Downey Jr. And I was like, what? What? I didn't know Robert Downey. Oh, man, because I hadn't watched any trailers or whatever. Okay, so now I'm looking at the wiki page for it. And it's it's talking about the filming and the production. Deadline reported that RDJ would appear in this film, in the film in his MCU role as Tony Stark, though he does not appear in the final film. <laughs> um, the director stated that she and Kev Dog decided that adding Stark or any of the Marvel superheroes to the film, we didn't we didn't want to feel like uh, Romanoff needed the support. We wanted her to stand alone. So I think they pulled their information from the Wikipedia page. <laughs> I don't know. That's ridiculous. But I was mad. I sent I sent uh, Samantha a text. I was like, I don't. I'm not even going to share this. I was mad. And then it didn't even happen. <laughs> I'm not surprised that you saw this mistake in the listing because when I was a teenager, I really wanted to go see a very specific movie. And it was rated PG. I cannot remember what it is, but I do remember the rating because in the newspaper, somebody had made the mistake and said that this movie was R-rated. And I got into an argument with my parents and said, no, this is a PG movie because this other R-rated movie that's listed next to it is rated as PG. And I know that's rated R because I, I think it was – I remember Brad Pitt was in the R-rated movie, but I, I – so I got into a huge argument with my parents and we went to the movie theater and they're like, no, the movie she wants to see is PG. <laughs> you wanted to go see Five Goes West and really they wanted to take you to see uh, uh, Micho Black. It, it wasn't Micho Black. It was, I forget the name of the movie. It's one where he, he plays um, an Irish Republican guy who comes to the U.S. to hide. I remember that. I don't remember the movie I actually wanted to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, yes. Why is Robert, you know, why is Iron Man not there? Well, you know, because Black Widow has this, you know, it's her movie. She, she's the hero in this. She deserves to be heroic in this. And that's just it. Like we love team ups. But then we also want to see our heroes just doing their thing, you know? And so when you create a universe that's just dripping with heroes and they teamed up and they're friends, you know, the logical question is, well, where, where's the buddy? Where's the friend? Where's so-and-so? And the real world answer is this is Scarlett Johansson's movie. She's playing Black Widow, doing the Black Widow thing. She's also executive she, producer on it, by the yeah. way. <laughs> and she, and Scarlett Johansson, over the past, what, 10, 15 years, has been a really powerful box office draw, whether she's doing a drama or a comedy or um, an action movie. 
So I mean, I think they made the right decision to not put any of the other Avengers into this film. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then we do get other heroes. So we have other widows with Yelena. We also have Red Guardian, who is a comic character, is basically the Russian Captain America. But then at one point, Yelena calls him Crimson Dynamo. Now, Crimson Dynamo is also a Russian hero. It's a Russian version of Iron Man. And... Oh, really? Yeah, puts on the suit. And actually, in when they do give us the uh, Armor Wars uh, on Disney Plus, I would not be, I would I would not be surprised at all to see Crimson Dynamo show up in that. Uh, but it's just kind of funny. So that, when, so when Elena called him Crimson Dynamo, that was really a cut. Well, it was either. I mean, we don't know the history of Crimson Dynamo. Is Crimson Dynamo an existing thing? at this point in time, or is Crimson Dynamo something that will be created in armor wars? We don't know. So either way though, it's a dig because it, it is, she's it is getting the because... name wrong and it's either she's getting the name wrong and, and confusing him with someone else or getting it wrong on purpose, confusing him with someone else. I think she's doing it on purpose or... because Alexi is a super soldier. And so he can do these really strong things by himself. I mean, we saw it in the very beginning of the movie where he flips, what, the trailer or the truck or something? Yeah, flips a trailer. But but if he's an Iron Man-type character, then he needs a suit to do his superhero stuff. But, yeah, whatever it is, she got it wrong. And if it was on purpose, it's funny that she made up a name. Or it's funny that she's actually referring to another Possible, possibly even a, a, a co-worker of, of Red Guardian yeah. at some point. And they may have had their own, quote unquote, civil war together. But yeah. um, can we talk about Red Guardian for a moment, though? Yes. Sure. I loved Alexi. Both, yes. both versions of the character that they gave us. Because the one thing, the one ding I really would give this movie is that at the Second half of the movie, Alexi is just an idiot, <laughs> an absolute idiot, the best kind of idiot, a funny idiot that is boisterous and and big and, and has the Russian accent, you know, and everything. But um, at the beginning of the movie, he is a successful spy. Oh, yeah. Who lives three years undercover in America. As a corporate guy who has a family and he's flawless until the very end. And then he turns into this just complete fool who's just clueless about life. And I'm just thinking to myself, wait a minute, is it, what happened to, to go from one to the other? And um, yeah, as much as I enjoyed his his character where he's able to just kind of let loose and be completely goofy and and funny and doing the, the arm wrestling and, and Oh, you have so much red in your ledger, you know, and all that kind of thing. Worst possible thing to say to black widow. Right. When she's already had conversations about how she wants to get rid of that red in her ledger. But yeah, I think part of that comes from being in prison for about 25 years. Maybe, maybe yeah, 25, 30 or however long he was in prison. Oh man. Did you see all that ink on him? The tattoos? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, he's arm wrestling people as someone is giving him a tattoo. <laughs> so, so while he's having that conversation, he talks about how he fought Captain America. Do you think he actually fought Captain America? And is it wasn't Steve Rogers because we know that was it Isaiah Bradley or was it old Steve? Okay. First of all, I love the idea of it being Isaiah Bradley. Oh, I love that too. That's really cool idea. My thought is, is it time traveling Steve who went back in time and danced with Peggy and lived a long, long life married to Peggy and going off and doing secret missions on his own for fun because he knows with great power comes great responsibility. And so he goes and fights Red Guardian. And, <laughs> and Red Guardian actually can say, I fought I fought Captain America, but no one's going to believe him because of the time, the timing. That's my theory. Time traveling Steve fought Red Guardian. I... And you know what, if this had been an earlier movie and they were able to make the same movie, I don't know, five years ago or however long it needed to be, if it was released right after Civil War, we wouldn't have gotten that reference until we watched Endgame and then maybe one of us went back and watched Black Widow and was like, oh, here's this little Easter egg and maybe he really did fight Steve Rogers. But that would also be like fan theory mm-hmm. of like, okay, headcanon, this is how, and I guess it still is. But it's kind of retro, you know, retcon fan theory where it's like, oh, when they did that, they didn't know. But this is how it all is connected now. And I think it's intentional. I they put that in there for a reason. And he was not acting like he was lying. But then again, when someone says, are you calling me a liar? That's what a liar says. (laughs) So, okay, originally this was supposed to come out May 1st, 2020. Then it was supposed to be Falcon Winter Soldier, as referenced by the the end credit scene, right? You know, um, that character would show up in Falcon Winter Soldier and be like, oh, I remember her. I believe that they were trying to make it say it was Isaiah Bradley. I don't know. For me, it's a toss-up between Isaiah Bradley and Steve Rogers. It could be either. Or it could be another Captain America. I just, I think Red Guardian would know the difference between Isaiah Bradley and Steve Rogers. Yes, obviously. And so as he's talking about Captain America, I think he's talking about Steve Rogers. Now, whether he's lying or not, I, th- I, I do think he's talking about Steve Rogers. But man, I love the idea. Just time-wise, Isaiah Bradley was... Korean War. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like Alexei fought Steve Rogers in what the seventies or eighties. He said uh I think he said eighty two or eighty three or eighty four. Okay. It was something like that. It was yeah, early eighties. I think it's called out on it because Steve Rogers was frozen in the early eighties. But yeah. not if he was dancing with Peggy. That's true. Or Isaiah Bradley. But Isaiah Bradley wasn't Captain America in the early 80s. He was in prison during that time. Oh. Okay, so it can't be Isaiah Bradley then. No. You're so right. This, but unless. Now he's, yeah, but he, he specifically said it was early 80s. 
Yeah. He could have tangled with Isaiah Bradley during the Korean conflict. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that would mean he's older than he's. uh, Yeah. So I don't think so. If it really was Steve Rogers, I think he did work for the SSR because if you remember um, Endgame, and I think I talked about this, that here's my personal theory that in Endgame, when they go back to the 70s and he sees Peggy through the window, she could clearly see him. She could. And I think it's possible that she did see him, but she didn't react because she knew that Steve was in the building. But it was her version of Steve that was older. And so she didn't think anything of it. It was important to him, but it just didn't it it wasn't a huge reaction for her, so she didn't react because she was in this heavy conversation with someone else. Yeah. So I, I think until we hear differently, I think that our general feeling about his time traveling is that he was living another life during that time. Yeah, but would he covertly go out and still be wearing the Captain America outfit? And unless somehow Alexi found out during this conflict that it was Steve Rogers. He's fighting a guy with a shield. Doing a <laughs> lot of moves like Steve Rogers. Yeah. <laughs> now, then again, it could have been Taskmaster because Taskmaster was also doing Steve Roger moves with and the shield. And fighting with the shield, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that there's what what I will say about this movie is that it has opened up the MCU in a way that we. okay. so, yeah, it's not pushing the plot forward, but it's opening up the world a little bit. It's world building on a level that is not as transparent, but is a little bit more underrated, I guess. Maybe I don't know. It's world building, and I think it does a really good job of it. I think that's what we're going to get here in in phase four. I think to me right now from the outside, you know, just watching what's coming toward us. I feel like the big phase four thing is kind of world building. We're building our world out. We're making it bigger. We're introducing the TVA. We're introducing multiverse. We're giving Black Widow backstory. We're introducing Shang-Chi. We're, I just, I just feel like that's kind of right now, the sense, the only sense that I'm getting from phase four is world building new characters that are possibly referencing something from the comics, which could mean we have young Avengers getting ready to assemble, which means we could have Thunderbolts or, I don't know what they would call it, but evil Avengers or dark Avengers, John Walker, you know, and, and, and Elaine, the countess. Countess. But that makes sense from a, um, from a business standpoint too, right? Because, okay, we had 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 movies with, you know, Steve Rogers and, and Robert Jenner Jr., Man, let them be done. Let's do some new blood or else this is going to get real stale. The interesting thing, though, is phase one through three was building the team and then also now building up the threat 
of Thanos and building up to Endgame, which I, we've talked about before. You know, if if Endgame was the last Marvel Cinematic Universe thing that we got and they rebooted after that, what a great way to go out. Mm-hmm. And now it's small again. Now, that's not a bad thing because we get the character moments in the character movies. We get Black Widow by herself. We get Shang-Chi introduced to the world. You know, we're going to get these kind of smaller stories. Except maybe Multiverse of Madness. That might be just incredibly big. Well, but like Falcon and Winter Soldier is a small story. You know, it really is. It it takes place on a big scale, but the story is real small. Loki is is real small. It's about Loki. It's not a. It, yes, again, it takes place on the backdrop of this huge multi dimensional thing, but it's small. It's character driven. Loki is Star Trek small. So yes, look at you know Star Trek four. Right, what's at stake? The whole world, Earth, mm-hmm. is at stake. But what's the movie about? We're going to go and kidnap some whales. You know, From it's, 1980. <laughs> it's, it's comedy. It's small. It's character driven. But it has big stakes. You know, And that's mm-hmm. the same kind of with Loki. Where it's comedy. It's character driven. But the stakes are literally the timeline of the universe. And, right. and Black Widow. Very personal stakes. But very big stakes. But it's, it's definitely. It's a smaller story. It's a personal story. But what's it building up to? And that's what I'm really curious about is what is the MCU building toward? Because we had we had Thanos show up and Thanos is doing his thing and he's showing up for end credit scenes here and there and everywhere. And and then we get end game. And they made course corrections yeah, I mean- along the way. It wasn't the same thing they were aiming toward. When he's when when Thanos is around in the first Avengers movie, they changed their plans between then and Endgame. You know, as they brought in new storytellers and new creators and mm-hmm. that that sort of thing. Well, also Avengers. Okay, so the first Iron Man was movie was made. Oh, let's make an Iron Man movie. Okay. Oh, hey, this is really good. Let's do some other ones. And then by the time they're getting to Black Widow, I bet they have phase four mapped out, phase five mapped out, phase six mapped out. You know, maybe there's a time for course corrections. They they do. I'm just curious what it is like where. Yeah, it's it's you know what? Here's here. It's like when you watch the first episode of a TV series and you're not quite sure what's this TV show about, you know, so this is the first movie in phase four. Mm-hmm. Well, what is phase four going to be about? Well, we don't know because this one is actually a flashback. Except for the post credit with Elaine. Who also shows up in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Right. And again, because of the timeline, you know, timey wimey, wibbly wobbly part of things of, you know, pandemic and stuff. It'll be interesting to see how well it plays out. And I think, honestly, it plays out just fine. I think we saw you know, Elaine here, but we saw her first in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Were we supposed to see her first here and go, why it's Elaine doing here, you know, at the end of this movie? I think probably, but it works out just fine. Again, I think it actually works to have 
uh, some of those other shows be before this was. Yeah, and I, I'm wrong. I'm saying this is the first thing in Phase 4. Actually, WandaVision was the first thing in Phase 4. Yeah, but again, it wasn't supposed to be. It wasn't. And and this was the, the one big thing they said was they that Elaine, Julie Lewis-Dreyfus, uh, her big moment in Falcon and Winter Soldier was one of the big things that was a change that was affected by all the schedule changes. There's the, the well, Kev Dog said that that was the only real thing, the uh, consequence of COVID and, and quarantine and all the things theater shutting down and moving dates around was we were supposed to see her first here. And, and that everything else is fine. <laughs> so. And, and I'm not sure that that's a bad thing to be completely honest. I'm not sure it's, if that's the worst problem we have, then we're okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Cause I feel like the other introduction that we saw in Falcon and winter soldier was a better introduction. Cause we got more of her and she got to make that joke about those boots aren't made for walking. So yeah, I feel like the other one was a better joke and this one was more a surprise. A what fun I'm, surprise. What I'm curious about is, is this one a setup and a commercial for Disney Plus? It's a, it's a setup for the Hawkeye series. Right. Yeah. So the post credit for this movie was to say, hey, make sure you get Disney Plus so you can see what happens next with with Elena. Uh, Elena and Hawkeye. <laughs> Actually, now, much have... of this movie was a setup for Hawkeye series because Natasha kept talking about her adventures with Clint. Yeah. And I I was sitting there the entire time thinking, I wish we could see that movie, but they're not going to make it. No, they're not. But they gave us the information. So yeah. when uh, when Loki talks about Dracoff's daughter, we know what that's about now. When they talk about Budapest, <laughs> or however you're supposed to say it. You know, we, we see what happened with her and Hawkeye and her defection to S.H.I.E.L.D. We That was nice to get, that backstory. I liked it yeah. when we didn't know what it was and it's just in your imagination. That's fun. That's good. But this is one of those times where I feel like what they actually gave us was in some ways better than what was imagined. The big example being... When we saw the prequels of Star Wars, a lot of us have been writing mm-hmm. that movie in our head for decades. Some people were literally writing it and selling it. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> some of us in our head, some people literally. Yeah. And yeah. And when we finally see it on the screen, it's not what we were imagining. But in this case, I feel like what they gave us on screen was in some ways, because it was so vague, better than what we were imagining because it gave us specifics and we find, Oh, this is part of her defecting to shield. And yeah, I like what they did with that. The first movie in phase four is a prequel set during phase three. Mm -hmm. So we're still on themes, right? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Okay. So I, I was just thinking another big thing here too is, a lot of what we've seen already in the MCU that is earthbound is, you know, what is the American 
what are American values and morals. But this is a, a group of people that are from Soviet Russia. And those values were completely different because those values centered around uh, around a lot of bring pride to the nation or we will destroy you and send you to a prison in Siberia. So really, I mean, it's, it's almost like there's this regime that is keeping the entire nation under threat for their own purpose. Whereas, and these, and those people did not have the freedoms that we had in the U S. So it's a very different spin on what makes a hero, a hero and why. You know, what sacrifices do you make yourself to to be a hero in this nation? Yeah, and I find it interesting that his rescue from Siberia was an action figure. Because mm-hmm. the action figure is obviously a symbol of the character Red Guardian. You know, and when I say the character, I mean in the world. There's this hero of the state red guardian who's in jail, but who has action figures. <laughs> and he's in getting... jail as a political prisoner, but he's a prisoner of his own nation. And did he do anything wrong? No, it's just, he happens to know all the secrets and the well, best way to shut him up. Yeah. And he's getting fan mail, but the only way to shut him up is to send him to a prison in Siberia. Of course, then again, Isaiah Bradley. Is there much difference there? Not really. That's interesting to think about. I loved that he gets the thing. He's getting ready to escape. And all I'm thinking is, get some of that food, man. Get some of that food. And so they show him breaking the window. And then they show him walking. And he's got like the breadstick or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. It looks (laughs) like a breadstick. So I'm just sticking with that. But great little moment but i did like the idea of you know who is this guy that they make action figures of him but he's a yeah he's a political prisoner in siberia he still exists as a symbol outside of there but there he is inside of there yeah. i guess the the other question is why didn't they just kill him yeah I mean, he's he's, well, a, he's a dangerous guy the same reason you can't kill it's the same reason you can't necessarily kill Captain America. How would they? Pe- how would people react if you killed your hero, killed your national symbol? I don't know. Not much different than if you find out that he's just in Siberia rotting away. Well, maybe they don't know that. That's my my guess. Is well, but he's getting fan mail. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but, but well, how does this all work? People- I don't know. People are writing fan mail. Maybe they're sending it to the North Pole, right? And then it's getting routed for some dumb reason. <laughs> it, it breaks down every time you think about it. But uh, it gets routed to him somehow. Like, I don't necessarily think... I think he's still got some clout. Like, I think if he were to come back and say, I'm the Red Guardian, and be the Red Guardian full-time... People would follow him. People would uh, would be excited for that, which is not what Soviet Russia wants. You know, I want Alexei to come back to show why they didn't just kill him. 
There has I, to be a reason. I think there's a, a really good story there. I want him to come back because I want to see him again. <laughs> well, you, you think about it. They saved Milena, and there was a good reason. She's she's not just a black widow. She's also a brilliant scientist. But they didn't kill Alexi, who was somehow a threat to the program. I, I want to see an, I want another see another Black Widow movie that's starring Elena, and we bring back Alexi and Melina, and then we figure out you know why didn't they kill Alexi, or or was it that he just couldn't be killed? That's a possibility. Yeah, they created the ultimate machine, can't be killed. Although he was pretty scared of those bullets and stuff, too. It'll be interesting to see what happens going forward with the Widows canonically in, in, in the MCU. Because now you have this fighting force who's just as dangerous as Winter Soldiers, but they didn't kill all the Black Widows like they did all the Winter Soldiers. I'm really curious about it too because for one that whole thing about well when this was going on where were they you know um <laughs> they weren't there for endgame you know they weren't on on your left you know and so where were they well they're spread out around the world i don't know but yeah so now were black widows were they part of um natasha's force during the snap what are they doing now with Yelena or Elena? I don't know. I think it's still Elena. Lots yeah. of things to speculate about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and the, and the whole, where were they when the snap happened? <sighs> well, I know where half of them were. Yeah. Right? yeah. Dust in the wind. All oh, they are is dust in the wind. Oh, for that matter, Alexi could have been dust in the wind. We have no idea how the snap affected anybody. Well, Falcon and Winter Soldier kind of clued us into that a little bit. Some of it, yeah. But how how the snap affected literally anybody else on the planet. Mm. So Well, we'll just have to keep watching to see. Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. So we only have so much time in yeah. this podcast. Okay. So I think now is the time where we kind of need to just kind of focus in on some of our, our notes that we just really want to make sure we talk about. For example, the big twist with Milena, where she says, I've already contacted the Red Room. It's a double cross, right? But then it becomes a triple cross. Quadruple cross? I don't know. But when she said, I've already contacted the Red Room, someone down below in the theater just yelled out, what? And... <laughs> And then later on, uh, Red Guardian had almost the same reaction. It was kind of funny, but I was not expecting and should have maybe expected the whole Mission Impossible face hologram thing. Wasn't expecting that when Milena did her twist, said, I have already contacted the Red Room. I'm thinking to myself, oh, yeah. Okay, let's go with that. Let's go with that not expecting that she was actually still a good guy and it was all part of the plan. Again, you have hero heroes acting for their nation under duress. I mean, cause if she, would she have 
done these things, would she have stayed in this program under different circumstances? So maybe because she was still doing the science. Yeah. I, I, I think that that was kind of her guiding thing doing the science. But the science is to control others and to make them do things against their will. Well, no, if she's trying to make other, she divorced herself from the actual application of it in a human being. She was just trying to make her pigs do the thing. But the, the tools that she was developing in these pigs was being applied to humans. Right. But that's not. And she knew that's what she, what was happening with her discoveries. And this is another part of where this this breaks down for me a little bit. And I find myself, wait a minute, I'm rooting for Red Guardian, who is proud of his quote unquote daughter's murders. You know, he's you have murdered so many people, you know, and it's just like, wait, that's funny, but but then you think about it. It's not. It's not funny. You know, and and Melina, who has done the the experiments, knows kind of what the application is, causes a pig to go. She wasn't going to kill the pig, but she was absolutely putting it through some pain and suffering, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I want to cheer for Natasha because she's turned her back on the murdering of so many people, you know, <laughs> and she wants to take care of the red in her ledger, you know, which is a big part of this movie and a big part of what drives her character. You know, we got that whole discussion with Loki where this is, this is what drives her, you know, but then we also have Elena, Melena, Melina, uh, Alexi, and, they are spies who are okay with killing people, you know, and it's okay. It's what you do. We're spies. Wanting to clear the, the red from her ledger. I mean, really that jump that she did in Endgame to get the soul stone, it, it makes it more impactful because in a way, I mean, no matter what she does, that red haunts her. And we see it here because um, she she it didn't it didn't bother her that she killed Drakov, but it did bother her that she also killed his, his daughter, mm-hmm. his very young daughter. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the movie, she apologizes to her and says, "I'm sorry." And, and so it's weighing on her. So in a sense, when she dove off that cliff, she wasn't just protecting this family. So she wasn't just protecting the Avengers. She was also clearing her name to do something heroic to save the entire universe. So I think her motivation since joining shield and uh, switching sides was really to make up for all the, for everything that she's done. That's been part of her motivation. But killing Antonia was part of her defecting to shield. So part of her getting away from the life she didn't want and working for quote unquote on the side of angels or whatever as a good guy. Yeah. Was this very gray. Some might say gray. Definitely wrong thing for her to do of, you know, making the call and killing the child. Right. And 
So even then she's putting red in her ledger. But then you have Alexi, Red Guardian. You have so much red in your ledger. Like, this is wonderful. This is this is wonderful. Let's 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 drink together and, and celebrate the red in your ledger. And I'm doing a terrible Russian accent, but Yeah. Do you guys know the uh in 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 role playing games specifically um D D, they have sort of a character alignment, right? You have uh lawful good, which is sort of your, you know, Steve Rogers, right? You have chaotic evil, which is probably Loki. <laughs> yeah. You know, just well Let's well, definitely he's a chaotic say, evil that drifted over into neutral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's definitely say, like, Avengers 1 Loki is chaotic evil, right? Yeah. Thanos is probably lawful evil. He has a code which he lives by. The outcome is very bad. So it's interesting to talk about, like, morality with these characters because Red Guardian is proud of his daughter's for becoming super spies for the Soviet Union. And as a father, we can appreciate that, the at least the root of it, right? Now, you're, you're exactly right, Ben. We can't look at it. We should be looking at it and going, I'm glad for you, but what? <laughs> you know? Um, I have literally told my children, I will be proud of you no matter what you do, unless maybe you become a murderer. Then I won't be proud right. of you. <laughs> like, right. Literally have told my children, I'll be proud yeah. of you no matter what, unless you're a murderer. And that's, I think, an appropriate response, you know, because we want to build our kids up and we want them to be happy and do well in whatever they choose to do. And not we murder also, people. And not yes. murder people. And not being a murderer, murdering. A murdering murderer who murders, yes. Murders, right. And so that's a very interesting thing to play with from the Red Guardian. This is uh, I hesitate to even say this, but I think it's going to prove my point. This is almost Soviet propaganda. It's not. It's an American-made film. But it's almost like trying to paint the Soviet Union with a nice brush. Yeah. Because, it, because it's making the characters relatable to us, an American audience. But See, this is where now... James Bond is losing me. All right. I'm as a kid, the suaveness, the coolness, the action, it brought me in, but I look at James Bond now and, and not the new ones. Okay. The, the new ones are playing with the, the morality of things and, and you know, the, the choices that are being made, et cetera, et cetera. But James Bond has a license to kill. And that's what he does. He is a murdering murderer. Now, he does so with the sanction of the queen, with the sanction of the state. He does so for the good of the people, you know, and, and that definitely goes a long way. But he also is, <laughs> especially in the earlier movies, James Bond is a horrible person. And oh, yeah, <laughs> as, as I age, I start to realize, oh, this is not <laughs> this is not a a role model anymore even in the even in the newer movies he's not a role model he's a deeply flawed very yeah, damaged but they, person but they're playing yeah, with but the flaws. they make it obvious yeah. in the new ones yeah yeah totally in the in the new but ones there's 
there's a conscience there that he's fighting against. And so some of the stuff that he's doing is going against his conscience and, and mm-hmm. you can appreciate the battle that's going on there. Um, Red Guardian, as much as I love this guy, then I'm like, oh, but he's proud of his daughters for becoming murderers. You know, and again, it's for the state. Again, it's for the greater good based on what they know. Again, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that go into that. But at the end of the day, he is proud for how many people they've murdered. Yeah. They're not proud, obviously, because they didn't have any choice. And I mean, well, Natasha had some choice. Elena had zero choice until she was deprogrammed with that powder. And then the people she did kill, she was done in the in the pursuit of her freedom and for the freedom of the other widows. So, I mean, is it good? Then again, you know, is it good that the Avengers killed so many people too? Well, well, I mean, it, it's well, the same. In many kill? ways, it's the you same know. argument on the different sides. Yeah. Who'd they kill? Yeah. Uh, Sokovia. But they didn't kill yeah. Sokovia. They were fighting and it was an accident. You know, I mean, they're, they're, there's things, you know, there, there's, there's things and then there's things. There's killers, then there's killers, you know, and. Well, what's, what's well great Tony about- and Bruce created Ultron, who created the Sokovia incidents. So. Again, though, it, it, yeah, the motivations are a little bit different. You know, Tony creating Ultron, he was doing so because he wanted to protect the world. So it's, it's, what's interesting about the MCU is that. It examines it from all sides, right? So in Ultron, they Sokovia got taken up and then dropped down and killed a bunch of people. Not half the world population, but a bunch of them, right? And so and then in Civil War, that actually played out. You know, there was a that had some consequences. And so it's going to be interesting to see what Black Widow, if any of those ripples make it through to the rest of the MCU going into phase four, I would not be surprised if we see Florence Pugh become a Black Widow and become a Marvel superstar and have her own landing. So it's a pretty good landing. You know, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward. And I think the MCU is a great place to sort of look at some of those things. Yeah. And what I really appreciate about this movie. So I, I just said, I have a problem. Obviously I'm, I'm cheering for red guardian, but then blah, 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 blah. What I appreciate about it is what they're doing with Natasha and Elena. Elena. Is it Elena or Elena? I've been saying it both ways. Elena. Elena. So I'm saying yeah, it wrong both ways. So, well, <laughs> in, in certain languages, the, the Y becomes an E sound. So it's so Elena. Elena. Yeah. And Natasha and the way that they are struggling to do what's right. Like, that's what I really appreciate about this movie is watching them with their own interactions with each other as their relationship grows and they're, you know, having a little more, I don't know, appreciation for each other. But then as they are both struggling with what they've done and struggling with, you know, whether Elena was in control or not. She's dealing with that. And Natasha is dealing with that. I really like that 
in this movie. And that makes this one of the more, it makes it a very rich Jason Bourne movie. You know, where Jason Bourne, it's not a lot of morality necessarily. It's a lot of um, him working against his programming, but this, this takes that and plays with those ideas that we've had with Black Widow since we first met her. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So here's what I want to know. Was that the extended version of Don McLean's American Pie or was that the radio edit? Because there's a difference. (laughs) And I, for one, personally love the extended 10-minute version of it, not just the... Think about it. You're playing it in a car to entertain a kid on a road trip. Which version would you go for? Well, depending on what you had. Was it a tape or was it a single? Now, kids. It was, it was a cassette, cassette tape, wasn't it? Tape. It was a cassette yeah. tape. Yeah. Yeah. That's was so. it the full album or was it just a single? I, think, I, I wish I could have seen it again just to find out because my guess is this is a greatest hits album. Maybe even bought off of TV. Great hits of the 70s or whatever. You know, like this is. Oh. (laughs) Or maybe somebody put the recorder next to the speaker while the radio was playing. (laughs) Like so many of us have done during that era. Then it would have been the radio edit. And that makes me sad. Yeah. She's missing out on. I won't be sad. No, don't be (laughs) sad. She was exposed to it young. And at some point. In her life, she listened to the extended edit, and she said to herself, wow. <laughs> wow. And then she listened to the Madonna version, and she's like, man, that's, oh, man. And she yeah. said, no. wow. <laughs> wow. So, and then the other, the other thing I had, to, I had to question was, so the Red Room's falling to the ground. I remind you of anything? A lot of things, yeah. Yeah. So Sokovia and Sokovia. (laughs) So I wonder if General Ross just goes again, again, Natasha. Come on. So, (laughs) so uh, I've been watching uh, pitch meeting videos, which uh, are really funny. It's on YouTube. They're hilarious. It's all just this one guy, but one is he's playing the writer or the producer. And they're pitching all the movies that we've seen, you know, and they're doing the pitch for Joker. And at, at the end of it, the guys, the producer like, so where's the, where's the sky beams? Where's, where's the sky beams? You know, and no, there's no sky beams. You know? um, and I'm just watching this movie and just thinking to myself, oh my goodness, we do. Could we get through a movie without like giant bases falling to the ground or giant laser beams shooting into the sky or uh, I thought this one was going to be different and, and it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) And and actually, honestly, as much as I, I did enjoy myself in act three, um, act three was for me the, the least, the least enjoyable part of the movie. Just all of the, um, the action beats of that. Now the character beats where Natasha uh, is confronting Drakoff and he has the pheromone and we're, we're, I, what I really appreciated style wise was as 
things are revealed to Natasha by Drakoff in flashback. A few moments later, we find out she already knew, you know, and there's some neat stuff going on with the flashbacks revealing to us that Melina was, you know, in on all along with Natasha and there's some neat stuff going on there. But when the things falling to the ground and all the fight stuff and the punchy punchy and all that stuff is happening, it's exciting. It's fun. But I liked the character stuff so much better, so much more. I mean, don't get me wrong. That the, when she is flying through the air, um, you know, with with uh, uh, the 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 parachute to put on Yelena, Florence Pugh, and she successfully does it, and then she jumps over. I mean, that's a really intense, really well done. Uh, action fight scene and bravo to it for doing that. But I think again, one of the great things about the MCU is that here we are, you know, we've been able to balance fight stuff, fighty fighty with uh, emotional resonance. And that's a thing that doesn't happen a lot in modern movies. No, it doesn't. And it should. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I want that to happen and, and I want, I want there to be emotional stakes in what I'm watching. I think that's why we watch the MCU and why, to be honest, the MCU is so, uh, uh, uh popular, you know, because there are emotional stakes, you know, you watch in this family scene of them sitting around the table in with the pig dying and they're breaking down. I mean, Yelena is about ready to like the floodgates are about ready to burst open because she's suppressed all these emotions for her entire life. And now her family's back together. You know, it's I don't think we've seen stuff like this in other franchises. And I, I would say we have. I think we have. I think. You know, some and, well, and James Bond tried to go there. Jason Bourne the tried to go there. Um, the difference is how long have we had uh, Natasha Iron Man yeah. 2, right? Yeah, which was when? When and was it's Iron Man 2? It's a great reveal in Iron Man 2. It was Iron Man 2, yeah. But when, when it's was it? It's a great that? reveal in a long time ago. It was a long, long time ago. <laughs> it, it's it's in a galaxy far, far away. I could tell you that. Hmm. I'm looking to see if I can find that Iron Man two, 2010. So we've had, we've had Scarlet witch for 11 years. Yeah. No. Oh, and and after Iron Man two, black widow, Scarlet, yeah. Scarlet, witch is. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> after Iron Man two, she did. We bought a zoo. <laughs> is, is that your new favorite movie, Ben? <laughs> it is not by any stretch a favorite movie. Oh, her second no, her first movie was North. That's just sad. But she overcame it. Yeah, she, a, she had a career as a child actor for a while. Wasn't she a Disney wasn't she on a Disney Channel show? Uh forget. Hold on. I'm not seeing any TV shows. I seem to recall I was watching something and 
I was like, that looks like a really young Scarlett Johansson. And then <laughs> I did the IMDb and I'm like, no, that is Scarlett Johansson. Really, really young. Oh, it's, it's opening up pictures of Black Widow, not Scarlett Johansson. Well, All right. So let's let's. Can we talk quickly... about Elena and her personality? Um, because the whole thing about the vest and when Alexi says something about, oh, is it your time of the month? And she's like, no, I don't have a uterus. I, I mean, and I just love that very straightforward, blatant. You know, I'm a girl. I have no problem stating all the stuff that makes people uncomfortable. Because maybe Not only I does really she have no problem. I think she enjoys it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she does. But the thing with the with the pockets, when she said that, I was like, now I want a vest with all the pockets because the pockets that they give women in jeans, especially, is they're tiny. I can't fit my little cell phone in. I have a. I have a um, iPhone SE six from like a few years ago. You know the kind that Apple doesn't support anymore. I can barely fit it in, into my jeans pocket. I have to put it into a little purse. But I don't like carrying around the purse. It's just something else to have to keep up with. I want pockets. Give me pockets. When she so started going off on pockets, I yeah. I was just like, my daughters are totally jiving with her right now because yeah. they want pockets and yes. yeah. That is a big, big deal. And yeah. Now that vest is, so this is where, hey, we got a prequel movie going on here. So we're, we're getting the origin story of uh, ScarJo's vest from Endgame. And, and that's, which, that's the vest she was wearing. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I didn't even know needed a, a, a <laughs> I didn't know that needed a, a, a backstory. <laughs> Did it need one? No. Is it a little bit goofy that we got one? Yes. But this is coming from someone who, I mean, I don't know if I'm in the minority, but I do know there's plenty of people who are, that would disagree with me when I watch solo and I'm just like, Oh my goodness. They are giving us the origin of every single thread that this guy wears. Here's the origin of his gun. Here's the origin of his belt. Here's the origin of his vest. Here's the origin of his shirt. Here's the origin of his jockey. It just, I don't even know what I'm the, saying when I said jockey. The little dice. The little yeah, dice. They just gave us, they gave us an origin for everything. Everything. And, did we and need you that? didn't like that, right? I don't like it when it's everything. It just feels like they're writing to the things instead of writing a story that naturally comes about, you know? And yeah, I mean, you get the origin of his name, you know? Uh, what's your name? What's your last name? I'm Solo. <laughs> it's what well we didn't need that can't that just be his name yeah it was a little much yeah but and i like what they did with the vest because in the end yeah. the vest had sentimental value don't get me wrong and we didn't know it we didn't need it no but i liked it and i and plus i want that vest so i have sentimental value for it <laughs> well and it was a it was a character moment for yelena right because she goes right. this is the first thing i ever purchased for herself. For yeah. herself. Yeah. 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 It's also a character moment where you just see her character and she's 
like talking with Natasha and you get this, it's a, it's a nice moment for the two of them together. So many pockets. It's so nice. You don't even know, you know, it's just like, Oh, this is, this is fun. My daughters, I did hear them cracking up during that conversation. And, um, and it was fun, you know, to, to go and see this movie with my girls, um, and, and just to enjoy it with them. My one daughter, my oldest daughter, uh, she not a big fan of black widow as a character. And this movie actually helped her like black widow a little bit more. So that's kind of cool. All right. Again, look at your big notes. What, what else you got going on here? I'm looking through oh, the characters. The whole speech about, I don't have a uterus. She also mentions that she doesn't have ovaries. And in that moment, I was like, that makes no sense because if you remove ovaries from any female, I mean, my dog has been fixed, which means her uterus has been removed, but she still has her ovaries in it because the ovaries provide hormones that are essential to living. So I was surprised that she said that they even removed the ovaries. Because <laughs> if, you, if you take those out, then the woman has to take hormone pills for the rest of her life. So. That bugged me. Yeah. So I'm sorry. There, I had there, to are, off there are certain words um, that you could use to gross big old <laughs> macho men out of. And ovaries is probably one of them. Mm. True. But it doesn't bother me. Well, yeah, but you're not a big old you're not you're not Crimson Tide. Or wait, no, what's his name? The Red Crimson Guardian. Dynamo. Crimson Dynamo yeah, is the, what Guardian. you got wrong. Yeah. yeah. It did shut him up though. It did. It did. It did. And and That's... I do know men like that, where it's just like as soon as you're gonna start talking about that, okay, I'm out. <laughs> right. I'm done. Uh, there was a little while where my daughters tried to test me with that, you know, and they would try and talk about periods and things like that. And, and, uh, and then they realized, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't bother him, you know, but they, your for a little while, dad who was in touch, yeah, there, there was a little while where they thought they could get me with that. And I'm just like, no, you know, it's a little inappropriate that you're doing, doing this just to try and gross me out, you know, but it doesn't bother me. I used to go and buy the things for my wife. <laughs> Because I'm the one that out buying the stuff, you know, do. it's what you got to do. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> yeah. If you really wanted to gross them out back, you should have gone into detail about their births. Uh, no, see, I don't want to do that though. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, that doesn't. The birth, no. the, the whole, uh, it's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful in its own way. And I don't want them <laughs> To, yeah, to have you know in what? their mind dad grossing them out with no, no they I, don't need that you're right you're right you're absolutely right yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right so back to this yeah, movie let, though let the healthcare professionals handle the grossness yeah <laughs> and let it be a good moment for mom and dad and the baby it was it yeah. was a, good, a beautiful moment and all of them i got to be in there for all five of them so Nice. Anyway, uh, back to the movie. Um, we talked about Alexi. Melina, did we talk about the twist? Did we, were you expecting that? No. Okay. Uh, and then we're, the second twist with her, were you expecting that? No. I, but I did notice in the first scene where we get the shot of, like, the distant shot looking into her secret hidey hole closet, I did notice the head mannequin things. 
And when later when we saw the scene where she does the 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 double betrayal or whatever, or she's talking to Natasha and explaining the situation to her, I realized, oh, that's why I saw those in the background. Okay. I I thought that was well done. Good twist. Very good action movie twist, you know, and I'm sure there are people who caught it, called it. I was not one. It was, it was nice. I wasn't one either. Well, it's, well, you cannot have a decent spy movie if you don't have, um, yeah, whatchamacallit, like triple spies or or (laughs) triple agents. Yeah. Triple agents. But she was in there for her own agenda and that was to protect the family. Oh. And she knew that Natasha could get the job done. Yeah. And and it worked. I Yes. I thought it worked well. Got them all up on the thing. They're all there. They're doing their their mission and, and bringing down the red room. Yeah. Uh 1995. That was also uh, I thought was kind of a nice scene. I enjoyed the scene. Um the, the young Natasha riding her bike or the converse uh, was Ryan of my, my, my youngest daughter. Um, of course her hair wasn't red. It was, uh, was it blue? Yeah. I think her hair was, was colored blue. blue. Yeah. yeah. Performed by ever Anderson, who is the daughter of, Oh, what's her name from fifth element? Lilo Dallas Multipass? Yes. Yeah. So her that's her that's her mom. I, I cannot remember her name right now, Wait, but Mia Jolovich. Mia Jolovich. Yeah. And, yeah, Mia Jolovich is her mother. And Paul Anderson is her dad. Yeah. yeah. Huh. And she's been in Paul Resident Anderson. Evil and Black Widow. Yes. Paul W. S. Anderson, director of the Resident Evil movies. Not the Magnolia movies, right? No, that's that's not Paul W. S. Anderson. I think that's just Paul Anderson. Or P.T. Anderson. We need to stop IMDBing that. Um, okay. Magnolia is directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, okay. P.T. Yeah. Anderson. He and I share a birthday. That's cool. You should uh, totally get together sometime. Oh, yeah, Totally. Um. So okay, what's left on this episode? Well, I was just uh, the the family stuff was nice at the beginning, and also then the spy stuff, and this is where we saw Shield. Shield was coming in with their branded trucks. They did that very well, by the way. They shielded, shielded. Now, what's interesting about that is I was kind of like, no, 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 I don't like Shield now. But I really should be liking S.H.I.E.L.D., you know? But S.H.I.E.L.D. was shooting at a plane that had children in it. Which was bad. And so I'm wondering, did they know there were children in there? But I'm watching it and thinking, even if they don't know, I know child endangerment is a um, a no-no in, in movies. And so this was interesting that they, they went there with that. And... Child endangerment is a no-no in the movies. But yet the story about the cavalry... And the truth behind it. Uh, I yeah, mean, it's no, possible it, they didn't know that there were children in that plane. 
It's very possible. They, so, they weren't there when they got on the plane. Shield showed yeah. up afterward. So, uh, but it you... also puts Shield in a bad light, which could motivate why. I mean, it's just more of you know America, you know e- uh, the East and the West fighting each other on all these different political situations. You know, from their point of view, yeah, we were the bad guys. What's interesting is Shield is attacking. And she defected to S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, S.H.I.E.L.D. coming is what caused them to have to lose their, their paradise. Yeah. And, and their, their family life. But she defected to S.H.I.E.L.D., so that was, that was also interesting. Plus, we know not everything was perfect with S.H.I.E.L.D. anyways because of Hydra. Well, and they address that in this movie. Melina says, uh, yeah, I worked on this for S.H.I.E.L.D. Of course, it was for Hydra, or <laughs> whatever it was. Yeah. William Hurt returns as Secretary Ross. Just for a few quick scenes. But enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, enough. This is our first real tie, other than characters, but our first real tie to in, the Incredible Hulk. Oh, no, this happened. He was in He was in Civil War, too, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Okay. And, and Infinity War, right? Is that when he shows up and gives Rhodey a court-martial? Yeah. Okay. But he was in Incredible Hulk, right? Yeah. Okay. Let's see. I'm not crazy. No, he was in Incredible Hulk. William Hurt, yeah. please open up. Yeah. General Let's... Thunderbolt Ross, Incredible Hulk. Okay. So I'm not crazy. Okay. Now, the Thunderbolts have Abomination on it, right? I don't know. Not, not, not any that I read them. Oh, okay. Because... Not to derail this, but I saw the Shang-Chi trailer, and there's an abomination in it. But is it the abomination? I think I saw a tweet from KevDog that said, yes, that is abomination fighting what's-his-face from Doctor Strange. Wang. Wong. Really? Yeah. I I have heard that abomination would show up in the She-Hulk movie, or TV series. Because she is a lawyer, and I think that there's going to be some lawyering shenanigans going on with that. But we will see. That's just a rumor. Is she New York-based? Don't know. Don't remember. Don't know? Okay, because if she's in New York, (laughs) (laughs) and she's a lawyer, we could see one of our favorite masked heroes from the Netflix series. That is a rumor I'm hearing as well. So... Okay, we'll see. Keep her. Keep fingers we'll see. crossed. Then, I mean, this is a phase where multiple universes are coming together. There's still no reason for Netflix to not be in the MCU, though. Like, there's there's right. nothing that's happened that has caused us to say, "Oh, this doesn't fit." Netflix still fits in the MCU until they reboot or recast. We'll see. It's it's Agents of Shield. That is it. That's the only one that has trouble fitting in. And once they open up the the multiverse even further, then you know we'll we'll see what happens with that. But anyway, back to this movie. Come home. Yeah, back to this movie. Um, yeah. I mean, we've covered a lot of stuff. We're not going to be able to cover everything as we usually say. Um, Mason was fun. He's the guy who was getting all. She was. He was. Uh, Natasha's contact. He's the one who got her 
the Quinjet the gear, the, the, well, heli- the, the, the helicopter and yeah, and the and, trailer and and then eventually yeah. the Quinjet that she was going to go and and go help <laughs> rescue uh, people from the boat and yeah yeah we talked about Taskmaster a little bit then there's all the widows wow I'm looking at the credits right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-three. I'm gonna say there's probably a couple dozen widows. In there. Yeah. Wow, that's more than I expected. But now they are all getting the opportunity to go and help others around the world, and that's it's kind of cool. You know, it'd be fun to watch a. A movie with the widows, but again, I don't need that. We already know this is what's going to happen. It'd be interesting to see them change from an evil organization where they have zero control into an organization where they're going out to save people. I mean, I'd I'd like to see that. And what is Yelena doing for Elaine? Like these missions that she's going on, these targets that she's being given by. The Contessa. Mm. Is she still an assassin? I don't know. But though she's sent to get Clint under false pretenses, Clint doesn't exactly have a clean ledger either. No. So that's going to be interesting. Okay, so here's what I find also interesting. There's a tombstone for Natasha. Mm -hmm. Who put it there? And how did they know what was going on? How did it's, they know she was clearly dead? an empty? T- it's it's clearly an empty grave because her body, as far as I know, was left on that other planet. I'm going to assume because Clint did not bring it back. No, so someone is someone said something to someone to let them know we need this tombstone. Mm-hmm. Question number two is: Elaine says to Yelena, "Hey." You want to get the guy who did this? And it's Hawkeye. Now, the story could be twisted, so this works. Her lie works. The question is, how does she know? How does she know he was a part of that? Because, you know, every good lie needs a bit of the truth. It's definitely there, that bit of the truth. Yeah. But... Well, even if it was... Natasha Romanoff died in battle, and the only person who saw her was Clint Barton. That's enough. So, and that's not false at that point, right? That's that's true. Because I'm re well, it's an audiobook. I'm re listening to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, and in the beginning, somebody mentions, "Oh, there's a newspaper article, and Harry, you were seen leaving the." Uh, the scene of the crime when Dumbledore was killed. And that's really a twist of the truth. I mean, yeah, it's true that he was, he was there, but there was a lot more that was going on and Noah did not totally spoil it for everybody. Okay. So there was, Hawkeye, there was a lot going on in that scene. Hawkeye comes home mm-hmm. and tells people, this is what happened. She's mm-hmm. a hero. Mm-hmm. And so somehow this leads to this monument and then also, for some reason, the Contessa, Elaine Bennis, <laughs> wants her dead, wants him dead. And now we're going to have to wait for the Hawkeye TV series to see 
what's going to happen here. Do we know that if Florence Pugh was cast in that? Yes. I did check. She is credited in that show. So, okay. So now it really is a commercial. Hey, by the way, go get Disney Plus. Yeah, which every Marvel movie is a commercial for more Marvel movies. Like, it's just, yeah, that's just the nature of things. And to the point where, yes, we have this post credit pretending to be a commercial, you know, but then you also had a commercial in Captain America, the first Avenger, a commercial pretending to be a a post credit (laughs) for, for Avengers. So. And, And wasn't it really a commercial? Yeah, it, it was. It was a it was a commercial yeah. pretending to be a post credit scene. So right, yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, looking at uh, Florence Pugh's uh, IMDb, she was Cordelia in King Lear from 2018, which starred Anthony Hopkins as Lear. And I have not seen this, and now I oh. am really upset with myself. I need to find this movie because Anthony Hopkins as Lear. That would well, be amazing. Um, remind me after we're finished recording. I, I have an app to help you find that. So. I don't think we're going to ever see a movie with the Black Widows, but I do think we're going to see them show up because they're going to serve the same purpose as the Dora Milaje. Yeah, that's a good point. They're going to come steal Zemo from wherever he is and take him to the raft but if he's on the raft, that's going to be weird. That's right. I called it the uh, the boat. I meant the raft. <laughs> so ultimately, it was fun to go and be in a theater to watch a movie. Hey, I actually have a, I, the whole time I was in this theater watching this movie. I was thinking about Ben. I was thinking about you, Ben. In fact, you sitting and watching movies from long time ago but you had your two special friends with you and i don't think we had those special friends this time did we no no the the, the couple wasn't there they weren't there <laughs> there's always That's that a really old joke kids yeah yeah <laughs> really from old joke. from another podcast really like the <laughs> oh no <laughs> that you was also strangers and aliens one. we talked about the the couple yeah yeah it's it's all connected. Hashtag it's all connected. It's the Ben Avery podcast verse. Well, any final words then? About. No, that wasn't mine. <laughs> uh, yes, I have some. I would like to thank our Patreon patrons Jeffrey, Tazel, Blessed Cheesemaker, 084, and Julie. Thank you all very much. And Stu. Any? I'm just glad we're back in the movie theater again. That was so cool. I was trying to remember the last time I saw a movie, and I must have been Rise of Skywalker. But yes, we got to go to the theater, had the big bucket tub of popcorn. Nice. And I want to say thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you. And 
Uh, if you are a Patreon patron, one thing that we have been doing is posting our conversation immediately after we have the conversation. We've done that for two of our regular Loki episodes, and we're going to be doing that for this episode. So you get this early, raw, unedited. It's a wonderful thing, right? Well, kind of, kind of wonderful. I don't know, but it's earlier. It's earlier, so... <laughs> You get to hear all the trains pass by. You get to hear all the little bumps and bones buzzing, which hopefully I can edit out. (laughs) Yeah. So, and I just want to say that I loved going to see this movie with my daughters and with my son. The theater experience was so much fun. And, but I just want to say about my daughters, my girls are the toughest girls in the world. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard us, now we'd love to hear from you. Go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback where you can contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 You can also join the lively conversation going on at facebook.com slash welcometolevel7 or connect with us on Twitter where we're level7pod. And remember, the 7 is spelled out. Our theme music is The Light Fantastic by J.S. Earls, and you can find that at transplant.bandcamp.com. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. And once again, thanks for listening. So we didn't talk about what the post credit was going to be. Hey Ben, have you seen Hamilton yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs>